We've done a show like this. Let's have There is no show like this. <laughs> <laughs> this is True Crime Uncensored, where we deal with a wide variety of topics. And, uh, this you, know, is, you know, we do. We and, do. And yeah. today is not as much about true crime. Well, some of the is, things is that have happened to these is, people is criminal. Well, is it is about the crime of the century. Yeah. Yeah, but we'll get into that a little later. Yeah, state crime. That's a whole other well, category. That. Yep, you betcha. Uh, so we say hello to our guest. Hello, guest. Hi, Mr. Well, Dodge. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. All right, so you already know that this is not the kind of show that you've ever done before. Have you ever done one before? Well, no, he's done shows. Uh, yes, but it's been a while, and yeah. it was actually about true crime. Oh, it was? What was the crime? Oh, it was a true crime book I wrote some time ago. That, so, anyway. All right, well, well, we'll forget that one for now and delve into this one. Wow, hang on. Did you, just, did you not like your work? Or what? I'm sorry I wrote it. No. If you want to, did, we, we could give you a spot to apologize if you want. Uh, well, no, no, no. That was just a little sidelight. No, this, is, this is more of what I'm much more passionate about this one. Definitely. I can certainly understand that. I donated $15 last night to the Hebrew uh, International uh, whatever it is. <laughs> whatever it is. Yeah. Whatever it is. Yeah. They don't use the full name anymore. You know, it used to be the Hebrew International Refugee something or other. Great dogs. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> that's Hebrew oh, National, Matt. <laughs> but now they just use their acronym. Good. Yeah, welcoming Good. the stranger. And you're a stranger today, so we welcome you. Well, you? Yeah. Uh, oh, uh, he wants to go so badly. <laughs> I can just feel it. I no, no, this is going to be a good show because this is an important topic, especially today with all those Africans want to go want to go back to their huts. Right, are we going to get your racism out now, bro? Yeah, well, all of it. My no, goodness. that's what the president allegedly said. Oh, jeez. Say that one, didn't he? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, what I've... What struck me, and there's probably several people <laughs> searching for me, but... When I was looking at your your book and reading up on it and the, some of the stuff we posted on our website, it's easy to forget that so many people come to this country, so many refugees are coming from places we haven't thought about and from lifestyle situations we haven't considered. Whatever the, the major thing in the news is, whether it's the Syrians or the, the Duffer or whatever it is, we tend to think they're all that. Uh, and a bag of chips. Are we going to let them in? No. Okay. They're going to let anybody in. No, we don't <laughs> let bags of chips in. No. But I was reading about this kid. It was the most horrifying story. It doesn't dawn on me that some of these refugees have to deal with things like tigers. Oh, yes. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, yes. Because the number of them are from sub-Saharan Africa and places, and... They're running away from, I mean, it's not like they're saying, oh, gee, I sure want to go to the U.S. so I can, you know, go skiing or go, you know, something. No, it's they're, they're running away from really horrid conditions, and sometimes they're, what they're, the, the process of running away involved being like, and I, that's what a lot of the book is, is telling their personal stories and being chased by hyenas as they were escaping, yes, and all sorts of things, and or the traveling through the Hutu Tutsi wars and all kinds of yes. Well, it's just horrible uh, situations. Uh, my parents were were refugees. My my dad did. Really? Where? From uh, the Ukraine, uh, escaped when he uh. was seven years old. It was one of those things where they had to, you know, pay off the guards and smuggle them across oh, the border yeah. into Romania and all that but, stuff. But but don't we all? 
come from someplace. someplace. I mean, Everybody's I, I, coming I, from somewhere. I mean, my grandparents, my grandparents yep. are from uh, uh, Yugoslavia uh, and from uh, Russia. Yeah, as are mine. I'm apparently go. a second generation. The, the, I'm first. Correct. Are you first? Yeah, well, yeah. We're, we're all immigrants of some sort, but yeah. refugees are kind of a special category of... of Immigrant, where they're fleeing something, you know, some sort of real something, either race, religion, where the categories that are put in the Refugee Act are race, religion, nationality, political opinion, or social persecution. And so, yes, something very specific. And not leaving just because they're necessarily seeking a better life, but they're really fleeing something. To save their life, maybe, huh? Yes. And in many cases, that was the case. And uh, like some of the stories that I tell, these people were had been imprisoned for a long time and managed to escape, or they were fleeing because they were their villages were being destroyed at the time they were running and all kinds of things. Well, you've got this book out now, which I think is incredibly clever to do, by the way. Uh, name, Burroughs? Tempest Tossed, and it's the refugee experience in the words of the refugees themselves who have uh, integrated or moved into Denver, Colorado. And if they're from sub-Saharan uh, Africa, they're probably mad as hell to snow. <laughs> yes, yes. It's a, it's a real change. But it's kind of a last choice, but... Yes, but this is where they got. This is where they were placed by by the UN. How, how did that? How did that work? It explained the process. It, well, it's it's. I mean, being this being being placed somewhere is really the third choice. They first uh, when they flee, which all these people did. They, uh, the first choice is to try to repatriate them in their home country, and then that doesn't going to work. The second choice is if they've fled, we'll then try to keep them where they fled. And the last choice is that they apply for relocation. And actually, that only happens with like 1% of the people who flee, so uh, that are actually resettled. And... And then it's it becomes a question of who will take them. Now the U.S. has become recently less willing to take people, but our so, history is a little the other way around, kind of. Yes. So, anyway, but I'm, that's one point I'm trying to show is that these people that come here, but then they become very. I mean, their their history of the fleeing. Well, it dates back to the, the Pilgrims were our first refugees, mm -hmm. and we have a real tradition in the country of accepting people who flee religious and persecution and all other kinds of. Are, are we not signatories to a Refugee Act, international yeah. treaty? Yes, it's a, there's been the Refugee Act of 1980 and 1983. That we, we really started taking in, well, after World War II, that's when there was the, we first started taking in large numbers of refugees. And then again, after Vietnam, that's a, when we passed a, an act of Congress to really make it a little more organized, where we started again taking in large numbers. Things well, calmed down a bit after 9-11, but we're... 
You remember, I don't remember in your personal life, but you're familiar, of course, with the nativist movement of the 1840s. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. He's a history professor. I was a history teacher for 37 years. You know that one. I do the history of all of this in the book. and Yes, because there was a time when there were a lot of people who looked at Catholics the way that people now look at Muslims, sort of, and they really tried to, I don't know, oh, no, the Catholics are coming. They're going to destroy everything. Secret agents of the Pope. But they did. The Know Nothing Party. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Of course, if you look at the a lot of the Protestant organizations that started around that time, built their membership on anti-Catholicism. Yes, they certainly did. And even like somebody like Morris, who the guy that did Morse code, Samuel Morris, he was very, very active in this and really believed that Catholics were out to destroy the U.S. and our culture and yes well yeah oh well they're not really starving Irish they're secret agents terrorists yes yes <laughs> that's just a sneaky way to get in huh? yeah yeah starve starve your way in that'll look fool us yeah. <laughs> why don't you figure out who the immigrants are by who the cab drivers are in New York <laughs> thank you um, <laughs> I, I meant that in a in a in an ironic way um, but let let's let's talk about What's going on today? Ah, well. <laughs> I, I mean, we could talk to, to talk about Denver all day, uh, but I, I'm looking at the whole United States. Yes. And uh, right or wrong, uh, <laughs> I don't know which. You know, and I, and I look at you as a professor, and I say, sir, um, what am I supposed to think? What am I supposed to believe? What's right? What's wrong? Um, what scares us? What doesn't about the immigrants? Well, yes. That's what I try to set up right off the bat. There are kind of two different views of refugees coming in. There's one view that is put out that they represent this threat, you know, that they're this. And people sort of relate refugees to Muslims, to terrorism, to threats. It's all kind of lumped together. And they also categorize refugees with all kind, anybody who's crossing the border, so illegal immigrants, and everybody's all lumped into one big thing, the other that's out there, and they're dangerous. And then there are other people who just believe that you know, this is the way it's always been, and this is what's added diversity to our culture. So we have two views. And I've, what I've tried to do is not, in the book, rely on any, you know, the, what you hear on TV, the, uh, uh, just everybody's rhetoric. I do include the rhetoric as rhetoric, but, but I've tried to rely on source material and what the actual facts are of what the threat oh, is. Oh, no, not facts. Don't confuse us with facts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I've got quite a few sources here, but oh, oh, how about if I give you a question? All right. What's when it? do you suppose the last time, uh, how, how often do you suppose refugees actually commit, have commit crimes of terrorism in the United States, or when would the last one be? Got me. Mm-hmm. If I was a refugee... Would it be 9-11? I mean, <laughs> well, actually, those weren't refugees. They weren't refugees. No, no, I mean, when refugees came in and committed 
last refugee crime committed in the United States by a refugee? You see, that's, a tough, that's a tough question, sir, because... Uh, <laughs> no one knows what a refugee well, is. Well, hang on, but, uh, <laughs> but, but uh, second, uh, I'm half second, half third generation American, and let's say I commit a crime. Am I a, am I a refugee, or no, was no, my, your parents? Yeah, my, were, gra- I, my grandparents were the refugees. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Those. I mean, the people that just come in. What, what Donald Trump Jr. talked about the skittles coming in, and, and, and how there could be a bad skittle in there, and all that sort of thing. Uh, no, but who are these? When we talk about we're bringing in, uh, like we've cut the number in half this year, but. One of Donald Trump's advisors would like to reduce it to 15,000, which would be really a tenth of what we were bringing in previously. Uh, Because these people, we just don't know them, supposedly. We don't vet adequately, supposedly, and all that sort of thing. Because these are dangerous people. How do you vet people that live, you know, that are basically rural, live in huts, and really don't have any documentation? It's a very detailed process, and they do... I mean, I could go through it all for you, or you could buy the book. Now, there's an idea. There's a great idea. The book is called the book is called Tempest Toss. Buy it, read it, believe it. We have a lobby out front. Yeah, it's a very. It's already been a very. I mean, most of these people that go to end up in camps and end up coming here. The average time of stay in camp is 20 years. So they're what? Like sneaking in. Did you say 20 years? Uh, I did say that, yes. Why? <laughs> Why did you say <laughs> Because that it's, it's just not some easy process to just enter the United States and, oh, yeah, I think I'll go there. Sure, why not? No, because the vetting is a very incredibly detailed process that always has been. Not something new, some new idea that, oh, maybe we should check these from these people. Do you, well, do you hear that? Do you, do you hear any strange sounds on your, your end of the phone? I know mean, that's a serious question, because we're kind of getting some strange... It sounds st- like you're underwater. Yeah, all of a sudden, which I don't know why, because he's not. But that 20 years threw me for a loop. That's a hell of a long time. He may have been disconnected. And that is what the long time is. 20 years. It's uh, We've lost our guest. We have very, very bad phone lines. So we hope you may it have had enough of you. Well, <laughs> no, there's no, that. <laughs> there's that. But uh, do we call him back? Uh, I, I don't see him calling back. Uh, he'll he'll is, call back when he, he realizes he can't hear us. <laughs> you so, think he's still talking? No, I don't think he's, he's still talking. Like I guess we had last week. I guess we had last week. He's still talking. Yeah. Ben Turvey is still going on. But I did. I, I find, uh, and I, I wish you were here, because I found it interesting that he took this turn to to really document and it's interesting and and the stories that are in there are individual stories we're going to take a 60 second break and see if we can reconnect to Mr. Dodge this is a fascinating topic we'll be right back on True Crime Uncensored
take your smoking, drinking, interrupting obsession with you 24 hours a day on any phone or device. And it's all free. Just go to your friendly app store and search for Outlaw Radio. Then look for the red letters on the sign with the bullet holes in it and download it. It's free. Listen free on the road, in your car, at the beach, or in your backyard. It's all free from Outlaw Radio. This is Buddy Twist. Saying goodnight from Hollywood. Well, hi, I am the legendary Burl Bear, and we certainly hope Mr. Dodge calls us back. We had a little problem with the telephone. That'll be a miracle. Uh, don't have to wait 20 years in an internment camp uh, for him to call back. While we're waiting for Mr. Dodge, I suggest you go online and buy his book, Tempest Tossed, and I, also... Hey, hey Burl, I'm not, I'm not sure, certain that he didn't hang up on purpose. No, no. No, no, no I think I, I think he was afraid you weren't going to sell his book, and I think he had enough of you guys. No, I, I don't think so. Uh, no, he's, uh, he's good. Uh, buy my books while you're at it. While you're out there buying Tempest Tossed uh, by Mr. Dodge, please buy Betrayal in Blue, uh, Taste for Murder... And anything else that has my name on it, except, like, my camp clothing. <laughs> don't, don't bother by that. Buy the books. Buy them, read them, believe them. And uh, I hope Mr. Dodge calls us back, because I, my feelings will be hurt if he doesn't. <laughs> I'll, I'll weep and moan, because he's a fascinating I find again. it fascinating that after all this time, Mr. Burrow, that you still don't bring contact info or, or he's still talking. Yeah, that's Back to true crime, <laughs> uncensored. Possible. Hi, okay, Howard, you talk. Well, yeah, okay. Well, you... With Burl Bear <laughs> and Howard Lapidus. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to be here. It really is. Um, Burl, at the moment, is using the only way he knows how to contact guests. You know, forget getting them back on the phone because that would be way yeah, well, too we, we easy. Don't yeah, we don't have uh, caller so, ID. So what he's doing is he's he's out back and he's he's pounding drums. Featuring <laughs> Mark C.G. Boyer. And then he tries smoke signals. Yeah. Yes. Oh man! I I sincerely believe yes, sir. that that he he truly had his fill of you guys. He figured out a way to just make it sound like <laughs> yeah. it was by crunching uh, cellophane. It's, in yeah. it's one of those. It's one of those. You want to make it sound like the other person, or you don't want to make it sound like you hung right. up on somebody, so you do it in the middle of a sentence. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you just it, oh my goodness! I don't, I don't know what happened. I want the answer to the qu- question of what was the last time a refugee committed a crime. What I what yeah, we're never going to get that answer. What I heard Howard saying because I wasn't listening to the show. I'm uh, in the studio, so I only heard Howard say, "Listen." We're going to sell your book. So I knew that now all of a sudden he's he's a little concerned that you're not going to promote his well, book. Well, he, he's, he's a guest. The guests are trained, as you know, by, by yeah. publicists to weave in ways to sell the book during in the interview. So that, it's not our first day at the beach. But we want to get what we want to get from the guest, and we will sell the book. We yeah, always well, do. I think that I think the selling of the book part is, is that trade is pulled out. Yeah, well, but we do. We always sell the book. We, we always come around to sell it. We always come around and talk about it. But I'd rather talk about some really interesting things that the guest has to say. Well, you're not going to hear it on this show. No. <laughs> I'd like, I said I'd like to. It's, no. It's, okay, I'd like is one thing. Do is something else. You know, that's... Uh, Oh, man. True Crime Uncensored is the name of our show. Uh, for what reason, I don't know. 
Oh man! So we have to kill. Uh, how you doing? So, Burl, you're sending him. An I sent him a message. But but why why would you have to send your guest a message when he's disconnected? He knows all he has <laughs> maybe, to do is maybe call. Maybe refugees disconnected his phone line. So you're not buying the fact. So, yeah, I, I got his you. number. I'm with you. Because, I got his number. Oh, oh okay. I'm oh, telling oh. you, Howard. I don't I don't think he. Oh, wait, wait. It's okay. Hold on. Let's try this. All right, hold, hold on a sec. Is that you, Mr. Dodge? You jumped a gun. Huh? Hello? Hello. Are you there? You are. Welcome back. Welcome back to the show. Oh, yes. I, I've been trying to send... I tried a couple calls on my cell phone. I guess my, something happened with my... Okay, well, hi. We're well, back. All right, well, we're so happy to have you back. It's, this is uh, it's Howard Peterson. It's a pleasure to have you here. Uh, what was the answer to the question? What was wh the last time a refugee did a criminal act? Oh, oh, oh. it was, you know, you'd think there have been uh, actually 75 million, or, or over, since 1975, there have been over 3 million refugees. And the last time... A murder was committed by a refugee it was in 1975, and it was by a Cuban. Well, that makes it we better not let any Cubans in. I know. I mean, that's so. When we worry about all these, when we've had these Muslim country bans, and then we've worried about all the Syrians and we're worried about and all this horrible record, it's 19, it was Cubans in 75. So maybe we should worry about Ted Cruz and uh, yeah. Marco Rubio. I, believe me, but, I've already uh, been worried about Ted Cruz. <laughs> but that's the last. So, so the statistics on the concern about. Yeah, there have been repatriated. I mean, there's been people that have been, you know, radicalized after being here that have done some bad things. But as far as refugees, no. They're, they're so happy to get the hell out of the way from those tigers. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, that no. is an awful... I mean, okay, Matt, that's enough of that. The, uh, the little girl whose mom was pregnant and the... The baby dies in the womb and she gets toxic. Oh, and oh God. What a oh, horrifying oh, story. Oh, you have read some of this. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we don't no, mess around. You see, yeah. you, see, you see, Robert, I, I said we, we'd somehow find a way to sell your book. <laughs> and we do do it on this show. So it's usually not to, through intimidation. Not to. No, no, no. I just don't want him to worry. I don't want him to worry. I yeah, Tempest Toss is absolutely fascinating because the real people, their real lives, their real personal stories that he I collected. Know. And I know. tell me about that little girl. Well, I mean, that was just an incredible thing. And then she was, this was in the Congo, and it was during the, they went through these periods of civil war just continuously, and it was actually, Human Rights Watch put it as the most, the worst place in the world because like millions of people died there and, and it didn't get much attention here because it happened during the time of the invasion of Kuwait and things so it really didn't get much news attention here but but they had to flee and and yes and her mother had just given birth four days before they had to flee the flee the capital and they were going to make their try to make their way to somewhere safe, but this was right when Hutus and Tutsis were having a were at war, and and they had to cross their way through all of this, and so that's all they saw all around them all the time. And how do you yes, tell a Tutsi from a Hutu anyway? Well, 
but mainly well they were uh, who's killing who I mean they're sort of yes and I know she she was I was really shocked to hear I mean she told me it was it was amazing when you hear these people tell their stories it's just astounding and then and then even then her father didn't make it back they they finally came back after a revolution ended there and they thought it would be better and they got back and it wasn't and so she fled again as a young single girl a 16 year old on her own and that didn't work out well either and so and she's one of those who she's finally then she ended up getting pregnant in South Africa, and this was, and she finally applied for asylum. And was, she didn't want to be placed in the U.S. because she could, she'd learned to speak French. She'd hoped to be placed somewhere where people spoke French, but so they put her in Denver, which at first was no thrill for her at all. But and she's and she's coming here as a black young woman with a baby speaking French was but difficult a, I mean but she got a good job and she's just hoping like most uh, so many of them she's just hoping for that life will be good for her daughter so many of them that's what they're hoping for is the second generation not her not life, them. yeah same thing with my my father when he came here yes I'm sure yes you know that one then yep. yes it's really the second generation because so many we did some volunteer work here with refugees we moved here from after 35 years overseas and we did some volunteer work with and really the older people have a very rough time and but what they're really hoping is that their children are going to do better adapt yeah. and like adjust um, I was, so, uh, Mark uh, Boyer has a question for you. Go ahead, Mark. I was wondering. It's Mark over here in the corner. Uh, I was wondering. Uh, you've you spent a good portion of your life overseas. Yes. And what's what is what are the different views of immigration in the other countries you were in? Yeah, we started off in London, and they really. I mean, they were much more open to, I mean, they were getting, but we left it, though. I mean, that was late 70s and early 80s that we lived there. And at that time, they they were quite open to it, although, but we were just visited again, and they're, now they've been feeling a little overwhelmed, so that's changing a bit. But, and then we were in uh, Southeast Asia for 31 years, and, uh, now they actually, where we lived in Singapore, they they wanted immigration because they have a low population and they just feel like they need immigration. Although they were they were kind of looking for more, they were looking for more upper intelligence in immigration, but that's kind of the typical of Singapore. But they, just to keep up their population to compete with people. But so, but no, and I mean, I'm nobody's like has been as defensive about immigration as the U.S. Which, which is interesting to me. in the Middle East, too. Her daughter was in the Middle East, so we would visit her. So. What strikes me peculiar is that one of the uh, advantages, I would think, for, for refugees in, the Amer- in America, as opposed to, say, Germany, is that we 
do assimilate them. There's people here to welcome them and help them out and hopefully, and, you know, get them in, into things instead of isolating them, uh, putting them all in a, you know, makeshift ghetto, separating them. Yeah. Which is well, a plus for America. Argue. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I was just. Has this has been? Is your view also? My my insynchronicity here. Well, I think that's true because we we take them in such small numbers. <laughs> and and I, I did go meet with the guy in in the, in Washington who is Lawrence Bartlett, who is the head director of admissions for refugee refugees in the U.S. and and he we talked about he's very they're very careful about selecting in the US where refugees go. Like they don't they don't just all come in like in Europe now they just because they can they swarmed through and just poured in and Germany was sort of accepting so they'd all pour in there. So they got such large numbers in certain places that they're overwhelmed. Here refugees come in and they're very careful about well, they know that well, first of all, they try to place with families, but they also know that there's a community, like in Minnesota, there's a community of, of Somalis and and Hmong things, and they're placed those people there with a community, and they know that we've got a lot of Bhutanese and Burmese and things in Colorado, and, and they get placed here where there's a community that they can fit in with, and they're very... And they also know the housing prices everywhere, where what can be afforded, what can't. So it's much more careful here and selective. So I think that's one reason you don't see any. There's no big camps. Right? Well, I mean, I'll tell I, you a little. That's the only way to do it. I'll tell you a little anecdote here. By, <laughs> and that is, my sister one day, please may she rest in peace, said to me, uh, "We were happy to be back at my parents' house. You know, the adult children." She said, "Burl." Did you ever notice that we got this real nice fireplace, but we've never had a fire in it in our entire lives? <laughs> yeah. And that I hadn't realized that before. I said, why don't you ask Dad why not? And so I said, hey, Dad, I got a question for you. We got this real nice fireplace in my entire life. There's never been a fire in it. Why is that? And he says, well, every day that I wake up, walk in the living room, and look at that fireplace, and I didn't have to light a fire to stay alive, is one more victory. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. A lot of old, deep memories. Yes, I'm sure. Yes. See, and that never occurred oh. to me. You know, because he never talked about his uh, his childhood. For years, he would never talk about it. Uh, then all of a sudden, one day, someone said, Hey, Dave, you never told us about uh, what life was like uh, when you were a kid and uh, the Cossacks were coming in and shooting at your, all your friends. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah. all of a sudden, he opened up and just told us everything. It was shocking. Yes, well, those are the kind of stories that shouldn't be lost. I mean, I originally wanted to collect this as oral history, but uh -huh. then I decided, no, oral history, I mean, historians like reading that, but this is going to be, and this should be a book for a regular tell, general uh, population. Tell book. our audience how you laid this all out, how the book, you know, they get a copy of this, and what are they going to see? Well, I start out by just setting out what are kind of the two, there's two, I think, general views, uh, the general views that I mentioned before of either seeing refugees as a threat or seeing them as something we welcome because of the diversity they add, and that's just the people we are. So I just kind of start with that, and then I start off by telling, I, I 
at least or more than half the book is just these individual stories for these people so because i'd like people because i really want people to use who they are they're not just this talking points they're real people and so they're individual stories and then in between that i add to it i add i add the history of what these i do the back i did the research then on the circumstances once they tell me when they fled what they, what was going on i also add to did the research then on to to fill that background out a little more history of the times and conditions they fled but i also did some of the history of the u.s and what our history with refugees and and our attitudes and and like you you brought up i mean that we've done this in the past we did this with anti-catholicism and then in the late with with we had these well get to be the late 1800s and we had this manifest destiny and we had this idea that oh yes okay we are we're the great ones and then we had these eugenics laws that made uh, yeah. that where we decided one drop of blood is all you need there, Mister Judge. One drop of blood. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, lots of uh, yes, right. The one drop rule. Yes. Yeah. Where we had we based our integration, all of our immigration policies on really on how close how white you were, really, and we eliminated Asian immigration and almost totally immigrated eliminated African immigration and things and so but that was our policy for a long time based on some misguided scientific notions of you know, uh, we had the uh, the great Chinese Exclusion Act which oh, I definitely got the Chinese Exclusion Act in there hey you know what ended that gentleman's agreement yes what oh no. yes Leslie yes. Charteris creator of the saint was half Chinese and he wanted to become uh, an American citizen and they went oops <laughs> yes, I know. I know. You look at our educated populations, and now it's, well, we don't really want to keep, yeah, well, <laughs> yes, I know our, yeah, but the white, this, a lot of this white superiority that's resurfacing is kind of a reflection of the old eugenics movements and the, I had someone ask me. I had someone ask me the day before yesterday this bizarre question. Said, "I know there's the BET Awards. Is there a WET Awards?" <laughs> I said, yeah, "Yeah, the Grammys, the Oscars." <laughs> yes, I don't, uh, yes, uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. Is that it? So, what is this? Hollywood last year. It's, it's Hollywood last year. That's what it was, it was the year before, maybe. That's right, where that, right, yeah, right. But, yes, but yes. Right. Yeah. But, hey, oh, well. Hey, so, do you still have a... Just, oh, go ahead, no. Howard. No, that's all right. Yeah, it just... I was going to ask about real estate covenants because I was a kid. They, we had those in our town where we lived, where you had to promise that you wouldn't sell your house to a Jew, yes. a Jew, oh, a yeah. black, uh, oh, yes. Mexican, Asian. Remember the Archie Bunker uh, episode? Oh, sure, sure, yeah. The, uh, uh, Sherman Hensley yeah. wanted to buy the house next door. <laughs> Uh-huh. Once well, there go the property values right there. Yeah, yeah. that's because it was oh, Sherman, not Jefferson. Standard old line and an Jefferson old. There was something called the tipping point, and yes, this many people in your neighborhood, and there it goes. And yeah, 
yeah. Tragic story. But we had we had that in uh, where I lived. And uh, why don't you say where it is? Because if you don't <laughs> once per show, it's not a show. Oh, where are you from? Walla Walla, Washington. Thank you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Walla Walla. It sounds so nice. They named it twice. Yeah, yeah there's uh, Robert. There's six people that that live there. That's about it. <laughs> no. all, all of them were named Bearer. <laughs> there were 600 black people in uh, in Walla Walla. And you would know the, the exact number. Because... Yeah, I counted them. Yeah. <laughs> so how many oh, we yeah. got? How many we got? Now, wait a minute. There's 601. Okay. Who got married? That's too many. And the Italians, too. Don't forget the Italians. Oh, yes. There's uh, no, no Nina. Yes. Well, that's no Irish, but there was Italians. Yes, it went through all these variations as time goes on. And now it's going through them again. It's just like here, it's like the the... Refugees come here; they end up working in meatpacking, which is kind of a, an American tradition in some ways. But they're taking the jobs that other people don't want. It's not like they're stealing jobs, but they're taking the jobs that are the unwanted jobs. But you know, they're happy to work. Yeah, well, yes, it's. And I'm sure it's like your California jobs with the pick grape pickers and things. Uh, it's, we begged them to come here, and then after they came here, we begged them to leave. Yeah, <laughs> we all want pickers in our neighborhood. By the way. That's, uh, we want the food, though. Right there. No. Yes, right. Well, let's talk to Caesar. Yeah. See how what he thinks. Uh, so, uh, how many different people did you do uh, are featured in the book? Oh well, I think I have, there's there's like uh, nineteen. Well, there's nineteen chapters. I think that have stories of individuals. A couple of them are doubled up. Like because their stories were two of the people from Bhutan stories were very similar, so I put them into one chapter, mm-hmm. and I have one on some children that I just happened to interview because they were all they were all they're from Burma and they were, they happened to be around when I was going to interview some another a man from Burma, but some children were were brought in, so I put four children in on their views on just they were born in camps and things so but that's all and all that's maybe 23 I think but but yeah so that's about it these are the full length interviews and then and then I interviewed a number of people that are just like oh, I got things from the governor and the senators here and things like that I'm still upset about but this 20 year business things. 20 years in the camps what the oh, hell oh yes that's a pretty yes that's, that's pretty much the that's about how long it... Yeah, so this... I know, I mean, we're going to extreme vetting. Well, I don't know how much more extreme we're going we're gonna to get, but... Uh, and that's that's uh, three times seven as well. That's three generations. Yeah, well, that's these people... Yeah, that's the normal thing is a lot of people went into camps as children, and then they grew up in the camps. They got what little education they had in camps, and then, then they provide some education, and a couple of them managed to attend local school and get some higher education but that's one reason they come here with their English is not good in a lot of cases and so they 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 go to uh, almost every place to provide some kind of service to help with education because that's the biggest barrier is to speaking English or English speaking 
And so, well, Howard mentioned uh, Yugoslavia in, in the uh, uh, 80s and 90s. You had the Serbian diaspora with uh, a lot of people coming uh, uh, coming to America from Yugoslavia. Yes, yes, it's it's, it's been different over time. Yeah, we lived, we visited there then because we had, when we were living in Europe and. Yes, but uh, yeah. But As we live here, though, and and the increase in gen, you know deeper into generations. I mean, I I talked to and spent a lot of time with my grandparents who came from Yugoslavia. Lots of time, lots of time of my life. My mm-hmm. kids, my kids don't get to hear those stories except what's left over that I kind of remember, but they don't have that that touch tone. That you know, hey, they really come from there, you know. Uh, well, the, you, you know, it, him. you should tape him if he's still around. Well, they're they're not. They're, they're not. They should. Tape I, I managed uh, to should, do that. You're lucky. They should tape me. I, 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 the only, there's one story that just comes to mind about my grandfather, and we were sitting around. I was a kid, and we were around the Passover table and finished the seder, and my cousin and I were going to go to my other cousins and my grandfather kept saying don't run yes don't run don't run yes and 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 I said I'm a kid I said what do you mean don't run to get don't shot run. and the truth is is his brother was in monastery Yugoslavia which is a place that does not exist anymore and uh, was running and was shot dead mm-hmm so it was don't yes. run, and that's why. But I didn't. Yeah, I had a really, right. I had a pick over ages to find out what's with this don't run. That's thing. the reason I got yeah. that in my forthcoming yeah. book. Exactly. There you go. So yes, yes, yes. Well, it sounds like you should be recording your stories. That they so that. Well, I got one story. It's, uh, <laughs> it's what story? pull it off of the show, and we're good. But 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 you know, I I, I remember I was telling my 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 kids of the story, and they look at me like I'm from another planet. Because I'm trying to describe my grandparents or their great grandparents, and now you know we're, we're so getting so far down the line that the stories are evaporating. And you're right about yes. taping. Yeah, you, you know, you're, you're yes. right about that. Uh, yes, I know. There one, are one of the most fascinating things that happened is, is is my daughter when she was in, I got to say, the eighth grade. There was an assignment, and she chose to interview the gentleman across the street who was in. Um, Auschwitz, and there was this. We have this fascinating interview of a she, eleven-year-old survivor. Well, an eleven-year-old talking to a survivor, but letting the survivor just talk and to hear it. And it's my my daughter is. What was that that just happened? (laughs) You know. But uh, well, actually, when I first started teaching, my very first year, I had a a neighbor that lived across the street who was in the first engineering engineering battalion into Auschwitz, and he'd never talked about it since. And he told me about it, and wow, that was uh, yes, cleaning the showers and things. Uh, But the gentleman, uh, my neighbor, who's since passed, but a tremendously nice man. We did very, very well here in the United States when he got here, but but just couldn't stop talking to my daughter. Once it was like she threw a switch, and he hadn't talked about it in years. Yeah, yeah. Yes, well, again, that'd be be nice if those were on tape. But uh, I I have yeah. so much in my life 
uh, of family and friends that survived the camps. Uh, grandparents, uh, aunts, uncles, uh, cousins, uh, my best friend's father spent the second six of his life traveling from camp to camp with an SS officer. Um, and, and a good portion of these people are still alive. If they're yeah. young enough, yeah. Well, with your well, with good. your radio experience, you should be interviewing. <laughs> <laughs> no, a well, it's a bit like one of my stories is a is a Syrian who survived their camp, their camp where everybody was around him was being just daily. They were tortured every day, and then and he kept expecting to be killed within the next day or within the next day, and somehow. He managed to survive and get away, but it was, I mean, it was reminiscent of the Holocaust because everybody was, it was just continuous torture and death and whoever he knew was dead and it, I mean, they were all, and tell, having him see, tell me his story and he was crying at the time, he was telling me a story of the torture and things, but now he's in Denver, hey, and uh, Somehow we made it. Somehow. Well, but therein lies the importance in the interest of what you've put together here in your book. Uh, Tempest Tossed is the name of the book. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. i I got to tell you this, this quick one because you'll, you'll like it. My Uncle Gordon was uh, in the troops that liberated one of the camps. Years later, I mean, years later, he's walking down the street in New York, and a man runs up to him crying get to the story and hugging him and my uncle is going what the hell is going on here he, oh, says, yes. uh, he says I would never forget your face he says you're the man who cut the barbed wire and let me out yeah it's almost oh, like really? the last scene in Marathon Man uh, only the reverse yeah is it safe is it safe <laughs> is it safe yeah yes really that's, I mean, that's amazing that he survived doing that yeah. I mean, just listen. I mean, that somebody lived to tell that story. It's amazing. And to find him on yeah. the street, yeah, is really amazing. yeah. So a lot of amazing there. Yeah, it sounds like material for a good book. <laughs> <laughs> but, there uh, you go. Hey, when the Nazis uh, were in Norway, uh, my uh, ex-father-in-law was out at sea in the Norwegian Merchant Marines, and his boat was sunk by a German U-boat, and he was in a life raft, and his father was told that he'd been killed. Uh, my father-in-law had also been told that his father had been killed in Norway, and actually neither one of them had been killed. The, uh, his father made it to England and used to go down to the docks in Liverpool. And when my uh, father-in-law was picked up out of the ocean, where they drop him off? On the docks in Liverpool. Life is funny. And the two men are walking towards each other, each one thinking the other one is dead. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, that is, uh, and they opened a pizzeria. They opened a pizzeria. Two guys who aren't dead pizzeria. <laughs> <laughs> Norian pizzeria. Um, okay. <laughs> I was uh, I was wondering uh, if your um, health issues had anything to do with the book and your perspective. Uh, uh, not really that. No, they do on other things I've written. I've written about a number of things about that and what I'm going to do next, I think. But... Uh, uh, no, well, I mean, they, they keep things in perspective. I mean, like, I really, I do have, yes, yeah, some serious health, but I really know that I've, I don't have much to feel sorry about. No, not uh, when you see these people's lives with the tigers and no, bears and... No, no. <laughs> oh. 
I mean, it just amazes me. We have it pretty darn good here. I mean, it's kind of hard to imagine me doing things my grandfather did, such as escaping from Russia, coming to America, traveling all around, sneaking back into Russia, fathering another child, escaping it's, again, it's kind of like coming to America, becoming a citizen, going back to Romania with a money belt with $10,000 American in it, smuggling out Jews from uh, Russia. That's how I got out of Buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> you were smuggled? <laughs> smuggled out of Buffalo. Yeah. Ah. Like a buffalo stands with Nina Cherry. Ah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So uh, we got this book, Tempest Tossed, with uh, all the uh, interviews with the real people and how they made it to America and what it was like for them before they got here, and hopefully their uh, things are going well for them. What's your next project? Yeah, that's, I'm work, I've started on a memoir, and uh, it is related to my, as you say, my health issues. And then also some group, I, when I lived in Singapore, I volunteered with uh, leprosy victims and uh, and I'm going to touch on that too in it because did, you, uh, did you get to say I am now truly one of you? <laughs> well, I missed that one. <laughs> Good. Thank you so much for being our guest today. The book is called well, Tempest Tossed. Uh, really appreciate it. Great conversation. Thank you very much. I really, I really appreciate it. Okay. Uh, thank you, Robert. Hey, Burl. What? What's next? Uh, Magic Ben Allen and the Demons of Decadence live from the Lighten Up Lounge at OutlawRadioLive.com and RadioLoyalty.com. Spread your love, I'm live.